Amen. God called. Hi. <laughs> God calls us to have the same childlike acceptance that Jesus had. If we did, the joy and clarity of our purpose would be unimaginable. So if Je- Jesus is willing to accept the wrath of God on behalf of sinners, what is holding us from accepting what God has for our lives? We're going to unpack that today, so stick around, and Alex is going to be preaching from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42, and I will read those in just a moment, but we just want to thank all of our donors, and um, a lot of times you guys ask how you can help us, and um, one way that you can help is by donating to this ministry. Um, you've been keeping us afloat for the last two years, so we are so thankful for you all. If you'd like to donate to the preaching and teaching ministry of Amen Church Live, you can visit amenchurch.live or click the link in our description. Love you guys. All right, here we go. Mark 14, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he was... He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Mm-hmm. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, what but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Mm. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Mm -hmm. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to do to answer him. And he came to the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Mm. It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Amen. Acceptance. Will you be able to accept what God puts before you? When we go into 2022, we don't know what's going to happen. The last two years, that how they started they started in a way that we were like, okay, this is going to be great. Everything's going to change. And then stuff happened that we had to accept. That was hard for us to accept. But none mm-hmm. of that is as hard as what Jesus was willing to accept on our behalf. And so mm-hmm. we're going to talk about this. But what I want us to do is go away with a closer like connection to God. Feeling mm-hmm. like we can trust him. That we can go into whatever 2022 is going to be like because we have him with us. And just walking away with greater faith. That's what I want for us today. And so... This was a this was a this was a text that saved my life. When I read this text, this is what made me a Christian. So I grew up in the church. I grew up, my dad was a pastor. He worked for Billy Graham. So it just tells you what kind of ministry he had. It was just a crazy life, you know, just traveling around the states, going to different Christian stuff, all the type everything that you could think of that's Christian, I've done it. Awanas, VBS. Like everything, I've done every Christian thing. Salty, if you know who Salty is, and <laughs> like Veggie Tales, seen every episode. I still watch those episodes with my kids. Mm-hmm. And when I, I almost got killed at a party, and I came home and had us talk to my parents, and they're like, they're like, listen, you're gonna end up killing yourself with all the partying and all the just doing crazy stuff. So you you need to read the word, like just try it. And I was like, okay, I was so depressed, I was such in a dark place. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'll read one chapter a day for however long the book of Mark is. And I didn't know at the time, but it's 16 chapters. So I read a chapter a day. As I'm reading and I'm going through here, I'm realizing that this guy, Jesus, is not just a guy. He's a God. And he's the God. And he's in so much control. And I was in awe of him. And then I got to this page, Mark 14. And it just, it changed everything. And that's why I want to just walk through this. So first off, it says he's in Gethsemane. Gethsemane is this place that means pressing. It's like an oil, not oil, uh, yeah, olive garden. And so they would use the olives to make olive oil. And so there's a pressing that's going to happen. Every Christian is going to go through some type of pressing, maybe multiple pressings. The disciples are in Gethsemane. They're going to be pressed. We're going to talk about that. But Jesus is going to be pressed. And his pressing is going to be so 
horrible. Why is his pressing going to be so bad? Why is it going to be bad? Look what happens. He says he took he takes Peter, James, and John, mm-hmm. and tells the other disciples, "You guys stay over here. You three come with me." These were his closest disciples. He wanted them to have his back. He wanted their company. Jesus, in this moment, he's going to feel he's already feeling extremely lonely. Lonely, and it says in verse thirty three, distressed and troubled. This word distressed, Mark uses this word. It's not used very often, and it means the ultimate amount of psychological trauma and stress and anguish was upon him. It's you can't get worse than distressed, mm. like mentally. Mm-hmm. So you talk about all the mental health influencer stuff out there. You haven't felt what Jesus is feeling. Mm. You have not felt the amount of stress that he was under, the amount of mental psychological anguish. You've never felt this. Mm-hmm. This is a billion times more because he's feeling that he's like, I want my friends. I want my friends to be with me knowing that they're going to fall asleep on him, mm-hmm. knowing that they're going to betray him. He's still like, he's human. Yeah, He's a hundred percent God, hundred percent human, but he's feeling loneliness. And he said, I want them to come with me. Why is he feeling loneliness? It's because of the wrath of God. You have to understand God has nothing to play with. He knew what he was going to go through. Let's look Exodus three thirty three twenty. Check this out. It says, Exodus 33, 20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. This is God talking Mm -hmm. to Moses. Moses is like, I want to see you. Moses and God have been hanging out a lot because God is going to give Moses the Ten Commandments. He's led led, led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. He's part of the Red Sea. He's done all this stuff. And they're in the wilderness. And God is having this deep, friendship with Moses because Moses is going to be his like liaison to the people. He's going to be the person that uh, God speaks through. Moses is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so Moses is like, God, I love you. I've been following you. I've been trusting you. You've changed my life. You've done plagues through me. You've done miracles through me. I want to see you. God says, you can't see me and live. Nobody can. Isaiah, I mean, what does that mean? You can't see him and live. It means you to lay eyes on him and you will die. This is how holy and perfect he is. Let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah, same thing. He sees God. And what does he say? He says, woe is me. I'm a sinner. I, 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 one of my favorite pastors, he preached, what does it mean for, to say woe is me? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say what he said because it was pretty graphic. But he, to say woe is me, just think of the worst feeling ever like the worst it's like i am dead it's like you're looking at something and he's looking at god and he's saying i it's greater than saying oh my gosh or oh my god i mean that really wasn't oh my god moment but it was just this feeling of i am gonna die i should not be seeing this this is oh my oh oh no that's what he was feeling when he was seeing God. Mm-hmm. This he was he was because to see God is to see His wrath, mm. to see God is to see His holiness, mm. to see how perfect He is, and to see you. Okay, here's another example. Peter, Jesus gets in the boat of Peter. He preaches a sermon. He was using the the water to amplify his voice. So he is a big people on the beach, Sea of Galilee. Gets in the water, goes in the boat, and uses the water to amplify his voice so everyone on the beach can hear him. So Jesus is really smart. It tells you right there. Mm-hmm. But then he gets in the boat, and after he's done preaching, he's like, okay, you guys are going to catch fish now. He's like, well, we've we've been trying to catch fish. He's like, listen, now you're really going to catch fish. I want you to go out to the lake again and put the nets on the other side. Peter's like, Jesus, we've been doing that, but if you say so, Master, I will do it. And he does it. The, the nets almost break. They get so much fish. It's a miracle. Mm-hmm. They've never caught this many fish before. Peter looks at the fish, looks at the net, looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, depart from me. I, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinner. Don't even, don't, you can't be near me. I'm a sinner. Have mercy and just leave. And then Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men, fishers of men. Mm -hmm. Why would Peter respond that way? He's seen the wrath of God through the holiness of God. 
He's seeing this man that's in my boat is unlike any man to ever live. He's holy. He's set apart. That's what holiness means. To see that means if he can do that, what can he do to me? Mm-hmm. If I can't do that because I'm a sinner, what can he do to me? Mm-hmm. We have to try to get this under, into our head, guys, because we have Christians like me, like yourself, who are acting crazy. We spend a lot of our time not representing what God looks like. The choices you make, the things you say, the things you look at online, the way that you act at school, at work, most of the time, it's not Christ-like. And why is it like that? Why do the people that we look up to online, why are we why are we doing, I've seen this meme where Drake is at a party and someone comes up to him and says, who invited you? And Drake literally goes like this. He like tilts his head up. Like it makes his face like, what? And he says, myself? I'm, do you know who I am? We need to have that moment like, whoa, what, it, who am I? And we have that moment when we see people like influencers, Christian influencers acting crazy, shaking their butt and, and just acting a fool online. These pastors are getting on stage with $40,000 watches and $2,000 shoes. It gives us that Drake moment where we just tilt our head up. Like, you know, when dogs like perk their ears up and they're like, huh? They look at you like, what, 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 wait a second, what's going on? You know? That feeling is what we have when we see some of the people that we follow, people that we look up to, people that are big Christians in our in our circle, in our community. We're having that moment because we're realizing these people don't fear God. Mm. Why do you act out of Christian character? My my two, my four-year-old said to me, I want to act like God, but I keep acting like Satan. Yeah. He said that to Lokalani one day. Mm-hmm. Why? It's because we don't fear God. Yes, we know temptation is hard the flesh is weak we're, we're sinful we're gonna make mistakes but most of the time a lot of the decisions and choices we make we could easily not make them because in in galatians he says uh galatians corinthians mm-hmm. he says when you're in the face of temptation god always gives you a way out why do we fall into it we don't so, fear god we don't see the wrath of god the bible says the fear of god the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge what? You fear God, you see his wrath, you see what he could do to you. Jesus tells the people, the disciples, don't fear uh, what man can do to you. Fear what God can do to you because mm-hmm. he can send you to hell. A person on earth can just kill you. Maybe you get shot, maybe you get stabbed, maybe you get hit in a car and you just die. That's all they can do. That's it. That's the worst. God decides what happens after that. I got a notification on it, my um, computer. Sorry about that. He decides what happens after. That's why we got to fear him. If you start to fear the Lord, that's the beginning of knowing who God is. To know who God is is to know who you are. Mm -hmm. It all starts there. It's so important for us. This is what Jesus is feeling, distressed and troubled because he's walking into the wrath of God and he's done nothing wrong. Look at what happens further. He says to the disciples in verse 34 of Mark 14, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Please just stay awake with me because I really need you guys to pray with me. I really got, I need you guys to be with me. Why? I'm sorrowful, even to death. Verse 35, going a little further, he goes along further and he goes to this place where he always prays. It's very good to have a place where you talk to God, a mm-hmm. place where you get along with him. Mm-hmm. Call it a war room. If you've ever seen that movie, awesome movie. You know, this room that you're in right now is my war room. It's mm-hmm. where I pray, where I talk to God. Go, having a place where you always meet with God is important because of the mindset that you get into when you get in that place. Mm-hmm. You get there and you realize, okay, this is my war room. This is where I go to war. Yeah. This is where I talk to God. You can talk to God anywhere. This is what Paul tells us. Pray without ceasing. Mm-hmm. In the car, in the kitchen, in the shower. Pray to talk to God everywhere. Great. But have a place like Jesus where you get alone with him often. This is what Gethsemane was. Of all places he wanted to be when he was about to go through the wrath of God, this was the place he wanted to be because this was a place that was familiar to his Mm. time of meeting with Mm. God. So check this out. It says he fell on the ground. What is he doing falling on the ground? This is a king. Kings don't act like this. What is this behavior? We're going to break it down because we've never seen him do this. If you read the Gospel of Mark. Let's just break it down. Let's go through these different ones. Okay, let's start with Luke 7, 11. Just, let's see if Jesus falls down in this moment as a king. Luke 7, 11. 
Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. And only he was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And the considerable crowd from town was with her. And the, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He felt what she felt and said to her, do not weep. She was weeping. She's, he has no one to take care of her, mm-hmm. no husband, and now she has no kid. She's completely alone. But, you know, the finances and the provision didn't really matter to her in the moment. The fact is she loved her son. It's all the only family she had left, and now she'd lost it. Verse 14, then he came up and touched the beer, which was the thing she was laying on the casket, and the bearer stood still. Big no-no. You don't touch caskets. To, for a Jewish person to touch something that's touching a dead person is to touch the dead person, which is to touch sin, which was what God told him not to do ever in the Old Testament. But why is Jesus able to touch this dead thing and not break the law? Because Jesus is 100% clean on the inside. Mm-hmm. What he touches becomes clean, not the other way around. Amen. What we touch makes us unclean. The sins we do and the things that we touch messes up that thing and messes up us. Yeah. But what Jesus touches becomes consecrated, becomes holy. He says in verse 15, and the dead man sat up. Imagine going to a funeral and this happens. He sits up in the middle of the funeral procession. That would be terrifying. People would be, thro- people would be throwing up and passing out if you saw this. Jesus, this is the power he has. No falling down here. Mm-hmm. He's lifting people up. He's not falling down. Look how much Power he has. The people were saying in verse 16 that fear seized them, and a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited the people. They called him a great prophet because Elijah had did something very similar to this, and Elijah was a prophet. In verse 17, and this report about him spread through the whole region of Judea and the surrounding country. Let's look at verse, let's look at John 10. Oh, let's save John 10. Let's go to Mark 4.35 and see what happens there. He's just... We've never seen him fall down like this. So what is he going through that would make him fall down? Mark 4, 35. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them, he took with, they took him in the boat with them, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great wind storm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so, at, so that the boat was already filling. Jesus and the disciples are crossing this Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are in the boat with Jesus, and a storm comes, mm-hmm. and the water is breaking inside of the boat. The water, the boat is filling up with water, so you know what's going to happen. They're going to sink. They're going to they're going to be out in the middle of this Sea of Galilee, and have to swim back during a storm. No, they're going to die. Verse thirty-eight. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. He had not. There was no falling down. He had fallen asleep. He was so completely in control, he's sleeping. What is it with him? And that's what they say. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And then he woke up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and said, Peace be still, and there was a great calm. The wind ceased. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? Jesus is looking at them. Why are you afraid? Why are they afraid? Look at the storm they were in. But he's saying, You don't need to be afraid because who you're with. But now we see in Mark 14, 35, 36, that he is the one that seems to be afraid. He's, he's completely switched positions that he was in the boat. Mm-hmm. Now the disciples are asleep, and he is the one freaking out. But in the boat, in the storm, in the middle of a storm, giant waves crashing, he's asleep, and they're the one freaked out. It's completely, why? He's in a real storm. He is gonna, he's starting a psychological storm that's soon to become a physical storm as well, but it's always going to be a psychological storm until he, until he dies. This psychological storm that he's in is the, the wrath of God that he's going through. And what he's about, let's just get, a, let's get one more, let's get two more examples. Because I want you to see that he just never acted like this. Yeah. He just, he didn't act like this. John uh, 10, 24. This is an example of him not necessarily doing something, but how he uh, talked about himself to his enemies. Because his enemies were always trying to trip him up, always trying to just get on his nerves and irritate him and find fault with him. And so in verse 24 of John 10, 
he says, uh, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's going to save people? Jesus says, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And my mm-hmm. sheep hear my voice, they, and I know them, and they follow me. Mm-hmm. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Lord, lunatic, or liar. Jesus is either one of the three. Lunatic, because he's saying, I can give people eternal life. He's either lunatic, Lord, or liar. Which one is he? You have to decide who he is. The whole world is going to decide what they believe about Jesus. When you see him, when you come to terms with him, because he's coming back one day. One day, the entire earth is going to look up and see Jesus break the sky. Every living creature on the earth will see him in all of his glory. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you're going to have to decide what you believed about him. Whether you thought he was a lord or a lunatic or a liar. But the point is, you have a choice to make. It says, they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Eternal salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved. That's it. Period. 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. He's claiming to be one with God. For a human to do this especially a Jewish human to other Jewish people was crazy guys. Mm -hmm. Their jaw would have been on the ground for him to say that he's one with God. They Jewish people understood God as father. They always thought God as father. Why? Because they knew they all came from Adam and they know that God made Adam. He's a father of mankind. And so Jewish people to understand God as father was very normal. So for Jesus to say, I and the father are one Jesus was putting himself on the same level as God, which he is. He's 100% God. He's God's son, 100% man. And that's what, it just would have been crazy to them, guys. But for Jesus to say this, he he was not afraid of anything. He was not afraid of what they were going to say, not being canceled. He was so confident in his relationship to God. Why in Mark 14 is he acting like this? Why is he falling on the ground crying, weeping, distressed, troubled. What is he going to go through? What is he going through in the moment? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about it. Because it says in verse uh, 30, uh, 35, 35 uh, going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass him. This hour. What is this hour? Mm-hmm. He says, Abba, Father. We'll come back to that Abba part. All things are possible. Remove this cup for me. What is this cup? What is this hour? What is this cup that's making him act like this? He's not used to acting like this. So let's talk about the cup. The cup is seen in a couple different places. I can't look at all the places because we'll be here all, all day. <laughs> but uh, Psalms eleven six is one of the first places where this cup is mentioned. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. This cup, either is the right, right here, is talking about the wrath of God. Inside this cup is wrath, and the wicked will drink from it. Another place where it says the, this, this cup is, it says that the wicked will drink the dregs from the cup. The dregs were the little pieces of like, like whatever the uh, fruit was they made for the wine, so usually grapes. It was the little pieces of grape at the bottom of the cup. Mm. Drinking the dregs means the wicked will drink every little last drop of God's wrath will fall on them. Even the parts that the people that, you know, the parts of the cup that people want to spit out, they're going to drink everything, all of it. We see, we see God's wrath and this cup being poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. Look, let's look at Abraham who knew God better than most humans. He was so close. He was a friend of God, the Bible says. He was uh, counted as righteous because of his faith in God, his belief in God. Jesus was so close to Abraham, is, is so close to him right now. He's in heaven. Abraham is a part of the cloud of witnesses, Hebrew tells us. And look at what Abraham knows about this cup, about to be poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah and maybe his nephew, Lot, 
who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. The word Sodom is where we get the word sodomy from, right? And so it tells you what these people were like, the Sodomites. Genesis 18, 16, it says, The men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. These men were, was, was God. Three men showed up to God, to, to Abraham, to talk to him, to talk about the promise of salvation and all these things that God was going to do through Abraham. The promise of a Messiah was going to come through Abraham. Three men. These are called uh, theophanies. They're like they're physical um, representations of God. It's three of them because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they're all males, and they're all distinct persons, but they're one. That's why they all come together. One is not greater than the other. There's different roles. The Father and the Spirit, they submit to the Father's, I mean, the the Spirit and the Son submit to the Father's will. The Holy Spirit has his role of working and, and equipping the saints and doing miracles on earth. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God is Jesus, the Word's of God, the way he communicates with us is he's always in line with the Father's heart, the Father's mind. But they come in, they literally come in three men, a form of three men, and Abraham knows it's God coming in this form. And as they eat and they talk, they're about to go on their way and they head towards Sodom. They don't go back up to heaven, they go back towards Sodom. And Abraham is walking them out. You know, when you have a guest and you walk them to their car or their door. That's what he's doing. He's walking them out, setting them on their way. And then Abraham sees, oh, no, they're walking towards Sodom. My nephew's down there. And so God hated Sodom. He hated the Sodomites. In in Psalms, it says that God hates the wicked. There's a sermon by David Platt. Google it. Where he talks about, you know, love the sinner, you know, hate the sin. The Bible says, I believe it's in Psalms 91. If not, just Google it. God hates the wicked. Why? He's holy. He has grace. He has mercy. He has forgiveness because of what Jesus done on the, did on the cross. He took the place. The Bible says in Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sinner on our behalf. He didn't become a sinner, mm-hmm. but God treated him as he was a sinner. Even though he was 100% perfect, he took all the sins that we committed upon himself. That's what it means for him to become sin. But he didn't, he didn't become a sinner. Yeah. He didn't sin at all. He took our punishment. He drank the cup that was ours. And so Abraham is looking at this. He's like, God, I know you hate those guys. I know what they're doing is so evil in your sight, and it's against you. David says, "You against you and you only have I sinned when he slept with Bathsheba. What? What does that mean? He, he was sinning against Bathsheba. He's sinning against Bathsheba's husband. What does God have to do with that? Because to sin is to sin against God. Because he has laws and he's written them on our hearts, Romans says. So every time we sin, it's against others, it's against ourselves, and it's against God. So Abraham says this, or God God says this first in verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? It shows you the relationship he had with Abraham. Verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall call him blessed. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. And the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, and Abraham still stood before the Lord. He's standing between God and Sodom and says, wait. And he drew near to him, verse 23. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Now, Romans tells us there's none that are righteous, no, not one. So what is Abraham talking about? Mm -hmm. At that time, those who believed in the promise of God God was looking, seeing their sin, but they're also looking past to the cross. So this is how people in the Old Testament get saved and go to heaven. Because he was look, seeing their sin because God's eternal. He steps out of the timeline that we're in, and he's outside of that timeline. He can see everything. He was looking past their sin and looking to the cross mm-hmm. for salvation. 
And he's saying, those righteous, those people who believe in you and trust in your plan and trust in you, those who have been accounted righteous, will you wipe away the whole city with those people too? Far be it from you, verse 25, to do such a thing. So put the righteous to, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. So the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham says, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Verse 29. Again, he spoke to them and said, suppose they're 40. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found. You see what he's doing? Mm-hmm. Abraham's trying to talk. Because he knows the great the the grace of God, the mercy of God, the provision of God, and the power of God, and the plan of God, he's able to talk to God this way. This is what Jesus is doing. It's a picture of what Jesus is doing in the garden. He's he's saying, God, because I know you're gracious and merciful and powerful, is there any other way? You see, there's a way to ask God to change his mind that is holy and Christ-like. There's a way to do it that is honoring to him, and it's this way. To say, God, I know you're perfect. Jesus says in Mark 14, all things are possible for you. All things, you can do all things. I know that about you. So please, if there's any other way, that's what he's. That's what Abraham's saying here. God, if, suppose 40, 30, and he keeps trying to talk him down. Mm-hmm. It's how great the wrath, this is how scary the wrath of God is. That Abraham and Jesus are both acting this way. Verse 31. Jesus, well, in verse 30, God's like, okay, if I find 30. 31, he says, he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose, he says, behold, just look, look. That's what behold means. I've undertaken to speak to you this way. Please don't smite me right now. Just hear me out. Please have mercy on me. You know, suppose 20 are found there. God says, for the sake of 20, I I will not destroy it. Verse 32, and then he said to him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. He says, okay, this is the last time. Don't kill me. Please, the wrath that you're going to send towards Sodom, don't send it on me for speaking out of place. I just, I know who you are. You're perfect and beautiful and merciful and gracious, and you have wrath. You have holiness. Just please, just if there's 10 there, will you not destroy it? What happens? He says, okay, if there's 10. There wasn't 10. He, Lot gets pulled out by the seat of his pants, and just, and Sodom gets fired upon sulfur and fire burns that place to the ground. It's a devastation. He barely makes it out with his life lot and his two daughters. That's it. That is the wrath of God. You see why Abraham's acting this way. He's he's putting his neck out there talking to God like this, asking God to change his mind, but he's able to do it because he's doing it in a way that is holy because he's, he's doing it in accordance to the character and the qualities of God. Mm. Saying, God, I know these things about you. Mm-hmm. So please just hear me out. Have mercy. That's what Jesus is doing. Is there any other way? And Jesus hears nothing. For Jesus to hear nothing back from his father when he's in the garden is a crazy thing, guys. Because in verse 36, this was the verse that made me fall to my knees and surrender to God. He says, Abba. This word Abba means daddy. Jewish people knew God as father. They did not know God as Abba. Mm. For a Jewish person to understand God as father was a normal thing. Mm -hmm. But the amount of intimacy by which Jesus is talking to God the father was unknown by everyone. And it's still unknown to you today. You don't know the relationship that's been opened to you through Jesus. 
Galatians 4, 6. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You have access to an intimate relationship with the God of the universe that's been opened up by Jesus because Jesus cried Abba in the garden as he drank from the cup of God's wrath towards sin on our behalf because he cried Abba, we can cry Abba. Mm -hmm. Daddy, dearest father, dad, dad. I mean, you don't understand this really until you become a dad, but I have kids every day who, who say, daddy, daddy, can I have some orange juice? Daddy, can I watch Baby Shark? Dad, Dad, can you play with us? There's an intimacy that my kids have with me. They're close to me. They talk to me unlike their friends talk to me or anyone else in, in the world would ever talk to me. There's a connection. Things that they might ask me, nobody else might ever ask me. Daddy, I went poop. Daddy, I went, Daddy, I, po I pooped. There's a connection, a deep intimacy that they have with me. That's what God, Jesus had with God. He's crying out under the wrath of God saying, Daddy, please, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, please. Mm -hmm. What is going, why is he behaving this way? He knows what he came to do. Mm -hmm. He talked about it so much. In, in Matthew 4, he's in the, he's in the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days and nights. He's he's really for the like for one of the first times in a different level, he's feeling the temptation of what it means to be human. Now, he's lived his whole life up till 30, completely not sinning. So as a kid, puberty, high school days, he definitely felt a lot of temptation. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, he just started his ministry. All the pressure was now on. It was on before, it's on in a different way now. Right before the wilderness. The sky opens up. God speaks. The literally, the crowd is in awe, astonished, afraid for their life. The Spirit of God comes down like a dove. God says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. He's hearing God. Everyone's hearing God show up and speak and affirm Jesus. That's not happening in the garden. There is no speaking from heaven. Jesus is crying out. He is hearing nothing back from the Father. Nothing. And in the wilderness, in Matthew 4, the devil comes and he personally tempts mm -hmm. Jesus. You haven't been personally tempted by the devil like this. You've been tempted by the devil. Yeah. But for his presence to be standing right, for the devil to be standing right in front of you, using every bit of cunning and cleverness and, and craftiness that he's, stu that he's studied towards mankind. He's been studying mankind since the garden, against the garden of Eden. He knows humans. He knows how to push their buttons. And he's pushing Jesus' buttons. He says, turn those stones into bread. I know you're hungry. Jesus could do that, but he didn't do it. He accepted the stones. Just like he's accepting the wrath of God in the Garden of Gethsemane. All these temptations, and he doesn't give in. A commentator once said, if Jesus gave in in the wilderness, he would have gave in in the garden. In those 40 days and 40 nights of intense temptation, fasting, not eating, nothing like no comfort, if he would have gave in then, he might have gave in in the garden. He did not give in. And in the garden, he did not give in. And he's, he's hearing nothing back. He's crying out, Father, what is going on? Why is he acting like this? He says, if it's possible for you, remove this cup. He hears nothing back. This cup is serious. We should be drinking from this cup. Mm -hmm. And then he goes out to his disciples and he says, okay, you know, but, well, he says this, not what I will, but what you will. He accepts it. How can he accept such a thing when he's done nothing wrong? This type of acceptance, we don't know. Paul talks about this type of acceptance a lot. If we're going to be in glory with Jesus, let us also be in sufferings with him. Mm -hmm. We have to suffer. None of us is ever going to suffer like this because he did it for us. But if he's going to suffer and we have to follow him and we are to take up our cross. That means there's going to be sufferings that we must come and accept. But if Jesus is willing to accept the sufferings of the wrath of God, how can we not accept the sufferings that help us communicate and connect us to God? You know, Jesus is asking for deliverance here and 
he doesn't get an answer back from God because his deliverance was going to be through suffering. He knew the plan of God, the will of God. And that's that he was going to be raised. He'd already talked about it earlier in this chapter. He was going to be raised. He knew what was coming next. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, Philippians says. If Jesus was willing to accept the wrath of God, how can we not accept Jesus as our Lord? And the sufferings that come with being identified with him. Mm. You're going to have to go through suffering because you have been identified with Jesus. Mm -hmm. You are his. We're a part of his body, the Bible says. We're of the body of Christ. And in his body, he endured sufferings, psychological and physical. If we're a part of that body, yes, those, the wrath of God has already been fulfilled. The, the, God is, the atonement, God has been satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. That is done and finished. That's why he said, it is finished. But we're still going to have to go through sufferings because it's through these sufferings that he makes us like Christ. Mm -hmm. This is what the people of Israel didn't want to go through. The wilderness, every time they were suffering, they gave up. Anytime there was a little bit of suffering, they said, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And they, and they turned away. We have to accept it. See how Jesus accepts the wrath just like a little child. What does Jesus say in, in, in Mark 10, 15, he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom or accept maybe, a different way to say it, accept the kingdom like a child will not enter it. If you do not accept God's will, accept what the Bible says about you, accept who God is, if you don't accept that like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? The kingdom of heaven isn't, necessarily just salvation salvation is different the kingdom of heaven is god's rule and reign in the minds and in the hearts of people and on this earth remember daniel prophesies about all the kingdoms in the, at in the world at the time of him macedonia he sees this big statue and he sees babylon at the top he sees you know these different kingdoms macedonia persia media and then he sees at the bottom that the new kingdom was coming. It was the kingdom of God. Jesus was going to be the new king. Jesus comes. He establishes his kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. The rule and reign of God. What does that mean? It means you, if you don't accept who God is and what the Bible says about you, like a child accepts his father's will, you will not enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Kids accept who they are. Kids accept who their parents are. They, kids walk around with a complete different attitude from you and me. I see this with my kids. They have tenderness of conscience. We don't have that. My son is sick. He had a fever. So I was like, hey, I'm going to give you some medicine. Right? It was right during bedtime. His older brother was like, I'm sick too. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this medicine that they, they taste, it has like sugar in it, so it tastes good. And Amos, you know, is such a sweet kid. He's like, I, I, I'm, I'm sick too. And I was like, are you really sick? And he's like, no. I know, I was like, are you lying? And he goes, yes, I'm sorry. Right away, who does that? You know, but, you know I'm kind of feeling, I was sick yesterday, I'm kind of feeling sick. That's what adults do. We mm -hmm. find our way out of it. It's tenderness of conscience. He says, yes, I'm sorry. As soon as I said the word lying, he was like, yes, I'm sorry. I mean, if that would happen in the courtroom, prisons would be empty. If people had just told the truth. I know there's wickedness out there, and even if they told the truth, some people would still be uh, unjustly incarcerated. But look how much different our world would be if we had the tenderness of conscience, if we were like a child. Mm -hmm. My son, he wants popcorn. He can't even open the microwave and close it and hit popcorn. He can't do anything. My sons, they are so dependent on me to even just make popcorn. They can even read. They can read the button that says popcorn, but they even if they were able to get up there, they, they, they're too short to reach it. They're so completely dependent on me for everything. That's what it means to be a child. Mm -hmm. Children, when it rains, 
and puddles are made, they jump in puddles. Human adults don't not humans. They're human. <laughs> adults don't do that. Why? We don't find joy in the little things. Mm-hmm. A butterfly flies by. They freak out. Mm. Why? They're children. They find joy and excitement in the littlest things. Understand your Savior was this way. Jesus was like a child. He was responsible like an adult. Mature. Like the most mature person that ever lived. Responsible. Wise. Beyond his years. Even as a young child, 12 years old, and Luke tells us he's wiser than all the priests and the pastors that were inside the church. So he had wisdom of the ages, of eternity within him, but he acted like a child. The way he looks at a fig tree that doesn't have figs, the way that he interacts with children, it's as if he's one of them. The sweetness that he has, you know, the the ability he has not to just jump into little quarrels. His favorite show we watch, Bluey, they call it squabbling. <laughs> Kids don't squabble. Bluey and Bingo in this one episode, the parents are squabbling or arguing. And they're the Bluey and Bingo, they're like, just stop squabbling. Why do you have to squabble? Don't squabble. And they say to each other, you know, Bingo, Bluey, let's decide just to never squabble anymore. We never want to squabble. Kids aren't even, they're not down to squabble. Jesus, this little boy, this little girl is sick, di- dies. And her father is like coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, can you raise her? They go to the house. There's people in the house making fun of Jesus because Jesus is like, she's sleeping. Because to her, to Jesus, death is just sleep. He has power over death. And for him, he was going to get up after dying as if it was just a nap. You know, the cross, the worst nap ever, but the cross would have been, the cross was, like we said, the cup of the wrath of God, horrible the worst psychological trauma, the physical side of it, somehow they squeeze an eternity amount of suffering and torment and judgment and wrath towards sin into those hours on the cross. But when he died, it was finished. And then from there, death was nothing but a nap for him. And he woke up. And so he says, this little girl's just sleeping. People laugh at him. And Jesus, instead of squabbling with them, like a child, he says, just stop, just leave. He has this softness of heart, this tenderness. And it's with that heart that he accepts the will of God. If we don't have that type of posture, we will not see God. Salvation and everything is a part of that, but it starts with the kingdom of God. You won't even have the chance for God to work through you. You won't have the chance to see God's purpose and his will in your life. If you don't approach him and accept him and what he's asking you to do and what his word says about you, I know the word says some things about you that are uncomfortable. You look in the word and you see how disgusting and evil and sinful you are, how fearful you are. We don't want to do that. It doesn't feel good to accept that. In the Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter, the Ministry of Magic, Magic, they don't want to accept that Voldemort is back. Mm-hmm. And and Harry and Dumbledore are like, no, I've seen him. He's back. They don't want to accept it. Why? Fear. If Voldemort is back, that meet, that's a picture of their weakness. That's a picture of their not measuring up. Mm-hmm. And the fear and the and the and their brokenness and their and the fact that death is there. We don't like to look at the Bible, because the Bible shows us a picture of Voldemort. Because Voldemort is our own sin. It's the wages of sin is death. With sin comes death and destruction and responsibility and wrath. And we don't want to see that. We don't want to look at that. It's why we don't read. Believe it or not, it's why you don't read your Bible. Your Bible collects dust because you're afraid of what the Bible will show you about you. That's why mm-hmm. James says the Bible is like a mirror. That's why Paul says the Bible is like a two-edged sword. It cuts you both ways. Two-edged swords means it cuts you going in and going out. It's not like the little butter knives we use every day. Only one side is sharp. The Bible is sharp on both sides. I'm terrified of reading Proverbs. I don't like reading it. Why? 
it's so convicting. Yes. It shows me mm-hmm. how evil I am, how evil my desires are. It's looking in the face of Voldemort. I don't like to see that, but it's good for me because it frees me. And we have someone with us, our Harry Potter, who, who, though Voldemort tries to kill Harry, he lives. Though death and sin tried to kill Jesus, Mm -hmm. he lives. Why? He's the chosen. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. And he's with us. And he's real, unlike Harry Potter. And he's with us. When you see the disgusting layers underneath you, when you peel back those layers, like Shrek says to Donkey, you know, Shrek's ogres are like onions. We have layers. You are like an onion too. There's layers to your devastation and destruction and evil and desecration. You pull them back every time you read this word. You're going to be met with the grace of God. Why? Because on the cross, there was no grace so that you could have grace. There was no mercy for Jesus who was sinless on the cross so you can have mercy. As you peel them back, you'll see who you really are. Accept it. Accept what the Bible says about you. Like a child, you know, and Jesus says, I'm telling you here, in, in Mark 10, I'm telling you here, there's some here, he was talking to his disciples, there's some here who will, who will not die until they see the kingdom of heaven at hand. He was talking about Peter, James, and John because in the next chapter, Peter comes, or Jesus transfigures in front of them. Jesus' true form as king of everything, universe, was, sh- the, Mark says it was like, uh, what is, I think I believe it was John or Matthew. Matthew says it was like lightning was pouring out of his pores, shining out of his pores. Peter, James, and John saw that. They got to witness because they accepted Jesus. In that moment, they followed him up on this mountain. They had left their job. Jesus shows up with their fishermen, and he says, hey, I want you to follow me. Like little kids, what do they do? Adults would be like, wait a second, this is my job. I got to clock out. I got stuff to do. I got bills to pay. I got a family. Like children, Peter, James, and John, they accept Jesus, and they say, okay, we're leaving everything. Mm -hmm. Because they did that, they got to see a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Jesus in his true form on earth. How many humans can say that? uh, Francis Chan was saying that, I've been preaching 30 years. I've been praying to see an outpouring of the Spirit of God on earth in America. I haven't seen it. We don't, we don't see God in his true form. We don't see Jesus transfigured before us. We don't see the kingdom of God. Why? We don't accept who the Bible says we are and who the Bible says Jesus is like a child. The Bible says you have gifts. The Bible says, why doesn't the church nowadays look like the church of Acts? Why don't we see healings? Why don't we see what the what, how the people in the book of Acts, how they lived? Why don't we see that now? Our hearts are not like children. They're not Christ-like. They're not childlike. So how do we get there? Because in verse 39, or in verse 37, Jesus gets up from praying, and he found them sleeping, Peter, James, and John. He says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray. Remember that word, watch, watch, watch. Jesus keeps saying it. He said it in verse 34. He says it now in verse 37. Watch. Or verse 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed. He prays three times. Look at how stressed out he is. He's really trying to... If it's possible, if there's any other way, look at He prayed again, saying the same words. Verse 40, and again he came and found them sleeping again after he just woke them up. Why? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mm-hmm. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know how to answer him. And he came a third time and said to him, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Mm-hmm. After you see what I'm going through. Guys, have you ever seen me act like this? Don't you see I'm coming undone? Look at my behavior. Have you ever seen this and yet you're sleeping? I thought I was your friend. It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Mm-hmm. How do they fall asleep on Jesus in this hour? I don't know. How do we? Yeah. How do you? Mm-hmm. We 
fall asleep on him. Mm-hmm. We don't stay awake. Our spirit is willing. Our flesh is weak. We want to do what is right. Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Why do we fall asleep? Why do we keep falling into temptation? Why don't we pay attention? Why don't we accept joyfully and willingly? Even if it's not joyfully, kids accept stuff. Every night I see my kids accept their fate. I say, it's time for bed, and their head drops. But what do they do? They accept it, and they go to their room. Now, that's a horrible picture of what Jesus is actually going through. Mm -hmm. But it's a picture of how kids just accept it. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I think of when you're texting someone and they say something that you don't necessarily like, but you know you have to accept it, what do you say? K. Little K. (laughs) Lowercase K. And then the person who reads that message, they're like, oh, man, they didn't like that, but... You know, that's, it is what it is. It's got to be that way. Don't you see this is what Jesus is saying? Okay. Accept it. Whatever, he accepted it. If he did, we must. Mm-hmm. Look at what, how do we do that? Abide, watch, renew. See the word as a sword and see it as living. What does Jesus tell us to do? Abide in me. Jesus is the word of God. Stay in me. Stay awake. Watch. Abide in me. Stay in your word. Put the, just for a little bit of time, put the other books down. Mm -hmm. Read the Bible. Put your phone down. Abide. Put Instagram away. Abide. Put social media away. Put the movies. Put the Netflix away. Abide. Why can't you read the Bible? You don't want to see what it's going to say about you. Mm -hmm. Abide. Stay in it. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Abide. Rest. He says, if you do that, you're going to have fruit because I'm like a vine Mm -hmm. and you're like the the branches. And so the fruit's going to pop off the other end of you if you just stay connected to me, if you abide in me. Watch. Stay awake. Imagine yourself on a ship and people trying to come on your ship and take over your ship. Imagine you're on the Titanic and you're headed towards the iceberg. Watch. They crashed because they didn't watch. Watch. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Watch. What's going to happen if we do that? Romans says you'll be renewed. You abide in the word. The word is Jesus. The word is living and active, Hebrews says. That because it's living and active, because it's a two-way, uh, two-way double-edged sword, it's going to cut through. What's going to happen? Your mind's going to be renewed. It will change you. Mental health stuff, psychologists, counselors will not do this. No counselor on earth can renew your mind. Mm -hmm. No psychiatrist, psychologist can renew your mind. It's not going to happen. The drugs you take, psychological drugs, Xanax, all that stuff, Zoloft, all these pills that they're prescribing you are not going to change you. They're not going to renew your mind. They're going to cover up and numb and maybe make it Yeah, maybe there is some type of thing going on with you that you need this to get through the day. Whatever. It will not renew you. It will not transform you up here. Mm -hmm. Only the word of God does that. Mm -hmm. No other book, no other self-help motivational speaker will do that. Some of that stuff is helpful, but not all of it. Mm -hmm. And there comes a place where you have to realize that only this can change. Jesus appears to the disciples and he says, he explains to them everything that's going on after he rose again from the grave. The Bible says in Luke that he opened up his mind. Luke's a doctor. He's talking about how the power that the word of God, Jesus, has to change a person's mind and to open it up and see things and put things in there that wasn't in there before that can change your life. Jesus, he meets these two disciples on the way to Emmaus. He's walking with them and he's explaining to them. And Jesus is like, you know, what's going on? He's like, dude, you have to be deaf and blind to not know what's going on in Jerusalem. Can't you see the Messiah? Well, we thought he was the Messiah, but you know, one of the greatest people to ever live was killed. What are you talking about? What is going on? How do you not know what's going on? And Jesus starts to explain to them everything that must happen to him through the scriptures. And they don't even realize it's Jesus until they get to their destination. And what they say afterwards, after Jesus disappears from among them, he says, they say, did our hearts not burn? Our hearts were on fire when he was talking to us about the word of God. 
Only the word can do that. Only the word that can set you on fire. Only the word can transform and renew your mind, Romans says. Get in it. Get in your word. That's what we do. That's how we accept what God has for us like a child. We watch. And remember, the spirit that is inside of you. One more time, Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, don't you see, the son of God died so you can become a son of God. Whether you're a girl or a boy, you're seen as a firstborn son. In Jewish culture, all the inheritance, all the benefits went to the firstborn child, the firstborn son, sorry. Because Jesus is firstborn son and only begotten son died, you are now adopted as a son. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, into your hearts, into Alex's heart, into Lokalani's heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's the spirit you have inside of you. Your body is a temple. Get in the word. Mm -hmm. Get in the word and watch. And then, and then watch how you will see the work of God work in your life. Amen? So that's the question. Amen? <laughs> what sticks out to you? What are you hearing God say through this? Mm -hmm. And how do you respond to that? So good. I mean, there's like so much you could or I could respond to. Um, but yeah, just for the sake of time, I think mm -hmm. that illustration of like um, Drake making that face. Mm. I don't even think I've seen the meme, meme. but I can imagine it because mm -hmm. you described it so well. But um, and how we are so quick to, you know, see what other Christians are doing and make that face, you know, yeah. and there's a time for us to call stuff like that out and all that. But I think more importantly, we should be doing that to ourselves because yeah. when we look at, you know, what Jesus was going through in the garden, it's like he was feeling like that's, he was feeling that because of us. Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, we weren't born yet, but that's our sin was on him too. And so, man, it's just like, how can we really live for him and honor him today like just really understanding the heaviness and the weight and the yeah. offensiveness of sin you know yeah and that we have to take it seriously you yeah. know we live in a world that wants to um blame shift everything and you not know? take anything not seriously. want to take anything seriously and not take any responsibility yeah and it's just it it seems like it's uh, it works, but it really doesn't. No, and, and yeah, yeah. So our world, know, just, our world is is. I love that you said that. We live in a world mm -hmm. that doesn't want to take anything seriously. Our world is SNL. Yes, we live in an SNL world. I mean, nothing is serious on SNL. Nothing. No, they make fun of everything. Everything. It doesn't matter who you are, what's going on in the world. They make fun of it all. Everything's a joke. Don't you understand? That's how the devil, the devil wants you to be. That's how Satan wants you to act. Mm -hmm. To see everything as a joke. Yeah. Nothing's serious. Yep. You know, what's serious is God's going to crack the sky one day. And it could be today. Mm -hmm. He could come back today. Exactly. So if he could come back today, we better be awake. Mm -hmm. Don't you see? It's so hard for us to remain this way because we live in a world that is SNL. It doesn't, we don't want... I mean, I'm not saying you got to be a weirdo. I'm not saying you can't do, Ecclesiastes says, eat and drink and be merry and enjoy life and en laugh and have fun and enjoy the grace of God, the common graces of God. But don't you dare fall asleep at the wheel because your mm -hmm. life could crash. Yep. It's so good. And here's the thing. We're talking about staying in the Word, staying awake, staying abide. You don't have to understand everything in this book. Right. I had someone say to me, you know, I don't understand the Old Testament, so I don't read it. You don't have to understand everything. You just need to read it. When you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. Mm -hmm. It cleanses you. It's living and active. You will understand stuff. The Holy Spirit will help you understand stuff. Right. The point is for you to abide. 
you know, a branch doesn't understand all the things that's happening inside the vine. They just know as long as I'm connected to this vine, fruit pops out the other side. Just stay connected. You don't have to understand everything that God is doing. You don't have to understand everything that's going on in the word of God. You don't have to understand what every little verse means. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to read 15 commentaries. You don't have to just get a doctorate agree. This word is living and active. It will interpret itself. Yes, you can have study Bibles and stuff to help you understand it, of course. But know that you don't have to get it all. Just get in there mm-hmm. and, and ask God to help you understand it. And he will. But the point is, every time you read, even though you feel like you're not getting nothing out of it, it's getting something out of you. That's a promise from the Bible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going into next week's episode. <laughs> but um, this was so encouraging to me to encourage you guys like this. And I love what you had to say, babe. And anything else that stuck out to you? No, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth. Sorry. So. <laughs> no, it's good. No, you explained it so well. That's exactly like what was on my mind. Yeah. So I love it. Sometimes lately, some, what you've been saying has been bringing out more of me, and it makes me want to preach another sermon. You're so funny. Love it, guys. Love you guys. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for being here. Hope this helps. Um, Amen Church Live, if you want to support. Amenchurch.live, if you want to support. Love you guys. We'll see you in the next one. Yes. Go out and be the church. Amen.